Thank God for Brother Robert's testimony. He got things right with God and ended faithful. Hope all of us will have that testimony that we kept the faith, finished our course, and was found faithful. All right, let's uh, sing a couple of scriptures. Turn to uh, Brother Randy. You might want to step here and help me a little bit. Uh, let's go to uh, Psalms 118, verse 24, and we're going to sing a couple of verses. Uh, you know, we try to check, I don't know who wrote that song, uh, but we try to check out the author of the songs. You know, they're wicked and ungodly. But I'm going to tell you something, the author of this song, I guarantee you, you can count on him. His name is the Holy Spirit. Inspired um, David uh, to write this, uh, this psalm. And so let's, uh, let's sing a couple of scriptures, amen. And uh, they're very familiar, you've sung them since you was a child. We won't try that one last week until we get the music, but I, Brother Duffett from Alaska sent me a whole CD of sheep music with scripture on it. I mean, tremendous stuff. We've got one that we're going to do for the uh, missions revival, and I can't preach an hour tonight, so uh, I want us to sing a couple of, of psalms, Psalms 118, verse 24. Everybody stand because you can't sing the scripture sitting down, amen? This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Matter of fact, he puts it on the wall. You won't even have to hold your Bible. <laughs> but I like to hold my Bible. Amen. Hope everybody brought you the Bible. Okay, let's sing it. This is the day. This is the day which the Lord hath made. Which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Amen. After the newscast, you need to sing that one more time. Amen. Don't the, don't, don't the news depress you lately? All right, well, this ought to encourage you. He's made this day, so let's rejoice in it. Let's try it again. I appreciate that time, uh, key change on that second verse, amen? I think it was a key change. I don't know if it was or not, but it's, it was. Okay, it sounded like one, amen. So let's do it again. Lead us, brother. This is the day, sing it smiling, that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. Sing the word. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This is the day which the Lord hath made. All right, turn to Psalms 48, verse 1 and 2. Psalms 48, verse 1 and 2. We're going to do this every Wednesday for a month, and I guarantee you'll memorize these scriptures. You won't even realize it. That's right. Singing the Word, you'll memorize the scripture. Psalms was intended to sing. It's the Psalms. It's the Psalms. Great is the Lord. This will go along with my message. I'm preaching on worship tonight, how worship will change your life, and it'll change your perspective, and it'll change your attitude towards trouble and trials. Some of y'all going through some deep trials, and... Um, Worship is the key during trials. Don't start skipping church when you're going through trials. Get in church more. But get in the Word and get in prayer. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountains of His holiness. And then we sing beautiful for situation. It's been 20 years since I sung this, so y'all help us out, okay? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, city of the great King. Sing it. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, 
in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Get a breath. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, city of the great king. Amen. You may be seated. Great singing. Amen. We'll do that every Wednesday for four weeks. How many is blessed by Lula Balo? Say amen. Wasn't that a blessing? Amen. Uh, you just don't know how good you got it until you go to a third world country. I'm just praying he don't like this place so much that he don't go back. But I don't think Mark would ever let that happen. Uh, and Brother Kevin. But he really enjoyed uh, here. He asked me after the service, he said, did I go too long? I said, I heard you went too long for Brother Tony. He gave him five, and he took 25. And boy, Brother Tony got probably out of sorts about that. But I said, no, you did perfect. You took 25 minutes, and I told you to take 25 minutes. That was good. He said, well, how was my English? I said, oh, it was sorry, but you really did a good job. No, I didn't really. The singing was wonderful. I just really appreciate it. We had a $350 love offering. Amen. So that's good. And um, we gave him 50 and sent 300 uh, by way of, count from Brother Mark so he can get it when he gets home and that will help him greatly in his church, I promise you. So thank you for that great offer. Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon has visited the courtroom, that's where we're going to be at tomorrow, praying that uh, the truth will come out and the truth will set people free. All you women libbers, don't, don't pass judgment until uh, there's a verdict, amen? But um, Solomon has visited the courtroom and it's a mess, you ever been to the justice system, it's a mess. And then the marketplace, and that was a mess. People getting crooked. and The highways and the palaces, that was a mess because he was part of it with his idolatry. Now he passes by the temple, a temple that he one time was passionate about constructing. And as he views the scene, he considers the rush activity there. All these people going through this sacrifice, and they're, they're trying to uh, obtain acceptability. When folks, the only way you can be accepted is in the beloved, amen, and by the blood. And so he begins to rebuke them in chapter 5 about their shallow worship. Their belief system was wrong. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I know we preached on this uh, a little bit, but I want to I elaborate on it, just the, especially the point about the, um, the, the worship. Uh, he revisits the temple and sees the people worshiping insincerely. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. God wants you to be sincere when you come in this place. But he wants you to be sincere every morning when you open up your Bible. Hope you had a devotion this morning. Hope you prayed. Folks, that's worship. Worship will set you free. Some people never worship till they come to the house of God. And, folks, I want to tell you something. That's being spoon-fed. You need to feed yourself. And I want to tell you something. You will probably go to sleep during my message if you haven't fed yourself this day. Because you, you haven't whet your appetite for the Word of God. Don't expect me to feed you completely. We need to feed ourselves. And we see the people worshiping. And he sees them going through this meaningless motion, fulfilling a system. And folks, it propels him to rebuke them for trying to please God and rather than love and adore Him. And so I want you to see three simple things tonight. I believe it's three, four, five, six, and seven slides brother about this worship and you can start with the 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 uh the slide about worship if you will brother cody from from that i sent you this afternoon but folks i want to tell you something the only way to set your heart in an upsetting world world is worship i want you to notice verse one through seven we've already stood to sing the word of god and i'm going to preach and, and we're going to preach uh, through this chapter again with the emphasis on sincere worship, sincere worship. Look at verse 1, and uh, we'll get to, down to verse 8. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. What in the world was Solomon saying? Keep thy foot. And be more ready to hear than to give sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Now, folks, it's evil to try to obtain acceptability through offering sacrifices. The sacrifice is Calvary. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament was pointing to Calvary. 
these folks are lined up at the temple that he built and they're going through the motions of sacrificing. And look at this. He says, Be not rash with thy mouth. They were making a lot of vows. And let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Now I want you to underline that. God is in heaven and thou are on this earth. It means God is God and you are you. And there's a big difference than you and God <clears throat> and me and God. So we need to worship that way. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. <clears throat> now listen to this. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, of business, and the fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. <clears throat> listen to this now. Be few. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he that hath no pleasure in foos, pay that which thou hast vowed. <clears throat> the greatest vow you ever made was the day you got saved. You said, I give my life to Jesus. That's a vow. Look at verse 6. Suffer not thy mouth to be caused thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angels that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice? and destroy the work of thy hands. Now here it is, our text, verse 7 and 8. It's for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, that's emptiness, but fear thou God. <clears throat> if thou seest the oppression in the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in the providence, marvel not at that matter. For he that is higher than the highest, I want you to underline those three words, or four, higher than the highest, regard it. Underline that one too. And there be higher, it says, and there be higher than they. Father, thank you for the good singing, the good song by Brother Randy, the good testimony of his brother. God bless Miss Shirley tonight. Miss Rose and the whole family. <clears throat> Lord, I know that through these times of heartaches and trials and tribulations and things that are going on, it sometimes hinders our worship. It, it, it causes us to complain instead of rejoice. And it causes us even to blame God and exalt ourselves trying to get out of our problems. We need to run to the place of worship. So, Lord, help us to realize what worship can do in our lives for your glory. And Lord, it's not about us, but it's about you. And Lord, when we sing those scripture songs and when we sing these hymns, these old-fashioned hymns, we're not here to entertain. We're not here just to um, praise men or be entertained by man. No, we're here to worship you. So, God, change our life about this subject of worshiping you. And we'll thank you and praise you. For by the Spirit of God, we can worship tonight in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I've been having sinus problems ever since I got off the glacier. <clears throat> Number one, I want you to see that worship places me. Sincere worship places you. What do you mean place you? Well, verse 7 says, For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also divers vanity, but fear God. You know, we like to talk a lot. I'm the world's worst at it. And there's a lot of divers vanities. We like to do a lot. And in the house of God, if we're not careful, we'll be here to try to do enough to be a blessing to somebody else, or we'll go through the motions of making vows to God, and we don't have any inclination of keeping those vows. It's vain worship. Solomon, I believe, is a repentant idolater in this chapter. I believe he is repenting of his idolatry. He's seen the whole gamut. He's worshipped Moloch. He's made altars and temples to heathen gods that gave their babies to the god of fire. 2 Kings chapter 11. He really backslid. And he backslid in worship. And so he's trying to correct himself as an old man. Funniest thing, Brother Luba Balo, I have a 
<clears throat> Luba Balo uh, was so sincere. You know, he's a sincere person. And I remember after I preached, he was trying to compliment my preaching, which is, which is fine if he wants to do that. And he said, boy, I appreciate your enthusiasm, and I appreciate the way you illustrated it. And he said several other things. And he said, I just want to tell you, Brother Wayne, I'm just amazed because the last time I saw you, I thought it's been several years, you'd be too old to preach. <laughs> Amen. I said, no, brother, I ain't over the hill yet. But he was so sincere. He said, he was trying to rejoice in that I hadn't kicked the bucket, amen, or just retired. And I thought that was so cute. But anyway, uh, worship is designed by God to put us in our place. I want you to think about these thoughts. Now, i got a lot of thoughts here, and they're not all original, but they sure have touched my heart. And folks, it's designed to place us, but it's also to remind us of His place. You understand that? Look at the last phrase of verse 8. That there be higher than they. What is it? It says, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth. Now he's talking about political corruption. We got it today. My word, there's three now. How many more? There's going to be a hundred if they let them. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you something. Uh, baby killers are vicious. They kill babies. They'll kill, they'll kill a judge. They'll kill a family. They'll kill his reputation. They'll kill everything. It's a warfare, brother. Amen. Y'all might not like that, but that's, a, that's the gospel truth, and that's where our country's at today. You start touching the liberals, and you start touching the, the baby killers, and folks, you've got a war going on. Amen. That's what's happening. But I want to tell you something, friend. We can stay home and get depressed and watch more news if you want to. But I want to tell you something, folks. He is higher than the highs. <clears throat> he is the supreme court. He is the supreme judge. And folks, he's going to get everything right. It might be the millennial before it gets right, but I want to tell you something. God is still on the throne. That encourages me to come to church tonight and not sit home and be depressed and say, well, there ain't no need of going anywhere. This country's gone. And that's what a lot of people are today because all they got banking is their politics. We got more than politics. Folks, we got worship. We got the one that's higher than the highest. True worship uplifts God and downgrade, down, 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 downgrades self. You know what we want? We want to come to the house of God and treat it like McDonald's and say supersize it. Some of us need to stop supersizing the french fries. I'll tell you that right now. Amen. I ain't supersizing fries in a long time, but I sure have ate a lot of Miss Connie's where she didn't eat them. But I want to tell you something, friend. This is not a place to make you feel big. It's not a place for entertainment. It's not a place of a show. Folks, this is a place to see a big God that's able to handle your big problems because no matter how big your problems is, He's bigger. And the last time I checked, He allowed it. Amen. Come on, Calvinists. Amen. That's good, good preaching, brother. Worship reminds us that we belong to a massive, powerful, awesome, holy God, and we're prone to forget it. Why do we sing? Why do we give an offering? Why do we have preaching every time these doors are open? I'll tell you why. It's a reminder that He is an awesome God. Say amen. And y'all did a wonderful job on that scripture song. Our worship tends to wander to lesser lords. And our hearts get destabilized when you start trusting lesser lords. Like you start trusting yourself to get you out of all the problems you're having. You start trusting yourself when everything falls apart. I'm going to tell you what you'll end up doing. You'll end up with sleepless nights, according to, according to these verses here. You start trusting that big God called money. I'm telling you, friend, that's a lesser Lord, and that lesser Lord's going to let you down. Say amen. I don't care how much money you make, you're never going to be satisfied until you crown Him as Lord of everything. Worship's not an act of negotiation as these people were rushing in the temple trying to get acceptable and, and sacrifice, and, and it's not performance-driven. That's what was happening at the temple. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. If there's ever a day 
that worship's turned into a performance. It's today. And it makes me absolutely sick. And I try to be nice and I try to be uh, uh, quiet in my rebuke sometimes with people that leave this church and go to a place that's not even doctrinally sound, but it sounds good. It's not doctrinally sound, but the show's better. It's not doctrinally sound, but the grandchildren love it, so we got to just go with the grandchildren. God help us, you better go with God. And you better go with what's right, not what feels good, but what makes God feel good. What's acceptable in His sight, amen. So we're in a day and age where I believe worship's gone off the deep end. It's more than a ball game. Amen? I've always wanted to go to the Georgia Bulldog game, but it's always been too late. And my son, he's a, he's a devout Tennessee fan. I mean, I don't know why I lost him to that orange team. I don't know what happened, but I think he started selling too many credit cards up there trying to work his way through Crown College. And he came back with an orange jersey that you can wear directing traffic. But anyway, and, you know, and, uh, and he's all up about Tennessee. Well, he got free tickets because he's a big UPS uh, uh, distributor now, and he ships more to UPS than anybody else. And he called me up today and says, Daddy, <clears throat> if you could behave yourself, I got two tickets on the 50-yard line of the Georgia Bulldog game Saturday. I said, what do you mean behave yourself? He said, you won't rub it in too much. <laughs> he's got another thought coming. I'm going to tell you that, friend. Just like old brother Andrew one time, he went up to Tennessee, and he kept on the red and black. And praise God, he cheered for all, probably got thrown out of that $100,000 crowd. But I want to tell you this, friend, um, it's more than a ball game. Well, this is more than a pep rally. Folks, there's more eternal dividends uh, to this than any game played. Say amen. We're worshiping a living God that's giving you real love and real life, and we shouldn't have a force obligation. And I'm going to say this, we shouldn't have a worship leader that gets all the praise. We shouldn't get a preacher that gets crowned as a celebrity. We ought to have God being adored. And look at the verse, verse 7. Say the three words with me, please. Fear thou what? God. I want to tell you what you ought to do when you leave this place. Not saying man was that good singing, or man was that good speaking, or man, that was a good fog show and a good uh, cheerio and a good, uh, uh, good music and good concert. No, we ought to leave here saying, God is God. We reverence God. That's what the word fear means, amen? We reverence God. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. God's not pleased with people that are low-rating God down to manageable terms, and He's part of the program, and He's just a, a, a byword, and if we can slip Him in, we'll slip Him in because pragmatism is taking over. That means get a crowd no matter what it costs or what you can do. And friend, I'm telling you, God's not even 10 feet from that place, 1,000 feet from that place. And I'm sick and tired of people saying and criticizing old-fashioned fundamental Baptist churches that believe the book and believe in old-time worship. Amen. Because, folks, we're not trying to compete with them, but I'm going to tell you this, friend. We're not going to join the world to get a crowd. We're not going to join the band to get a crowd. We're not going to do away with the orchestra or the, or the choir because it's not cool. When we could have six people up here in uh, contemporary clothes and contemporary band, we're not going to do it long as I'm here. And I want to tell you something. The reason is the last verse of this whole book. Would you turn to Ecclesiastes 12, 13? Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Last verse of this whole book is the conclusion of the whole matter. Amen. The Bible says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Amen? We're not judged by the applause in this auditorium. We're judged by the applause of heaven. 
And folks, we might all leave here burdened down and blistered, but folks, God's pleased with it. We ought to thank God for it. But I'm not saying we ought to go here unhappy. I'm just saying we need to place worship the Lord as a high and mighty obligation and priority in our life. Some people just take it or leave it. Look at the numbers tonight. Cause a little rain. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. We need to get back to the safe place of submission to the Lordship of Christ. That's a safe place. And it starts with our worship. And I want to tell you what happens when you get into the safe place, in the shadow of the Almighty, in the presence of the Holy One. Self-dependence goes out the door. And I want to tell you what's so wonderful about worship. You're saying, God, you're able to take care of this, and I can't. See, folks, listen, when you have problems, that's the very time you ought to worship the most. If not, you're going to worry the most, and you're going to wear yourself out with a nervous breakdown trying to handle your problems, which you cannot handle. When's the last time you changed anybody's heart towards God? Now, you can influence a person's heart, but you can't change them. And they'll kill you, you trying to be God in their life. We need to realize that being in a place of worship, it's powerful because it strengthens my desire to follow Jesus. What problem could remain big in the presence of an awesome God? And see, I've often said this, but I want to tell you something, friend. It might look like a mountain to you, but it's a molehill to him. And he can handle it when you cannot handle it. What sin could be retained in the allures of the higher than the highs? See, I believe the greatest defense against your weakness is realize he's strong and he's God and he knows what, you, what you're doing and he knows the thoughts in your heart and he knows if you're worshiping him right now. Some people look like they've come to leave and I want to tell you something, that's a bad testimony to the living God because I'm going to tell you something, he's more than just 30 minutes. He's more than a commercial He's more than just coming to church and filling a pew. He's more than serving in an office of the church. He's God. And he saved you. And folks, the greatest distresses that come, uh, come, come because of misplaced worship. We're worshiping our money. We're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping the teacher. We're worshiping the politics. We're worshiping whoever to, to solve our distresses. And there's only one person that can solve your distress, and it's God Almighty. And so we ought to worship him like that. We ought to realize, folks, that here's Solomon. He is turning from his idolatry. And we ought to turn from our idolatry. If there's anything that's more important to you than God, then that's your Lord. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it very honestly and very discreetly. He can take your God out. And I'd take my hands off that God and put, put my face at the foot of the God. It's an awesome thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And the Bible says he's a jealous God. Amen. He's a jealous God. And he ought to be jealous because he loved us unconditionally and he loves us unconditionally and he deserves our loyalty. He deserves our priority. And folks, the priority is this. We're free from the lesser lords. We're free from the lords of this world. The Lord's of the ring, whatever that is. We're free from it because we don't depend on that. And so therefore we get our priorities right. Worship ought to be a priority. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It didn't start out with, I'm a great shepherd and I'll try to work through this thing. And I hope he restores my soul when I fall in all kinds of trouble and commit adultery and murder in the first degree. no. He learned the hard way. The Lord is my shepherd. Insincere worship. Folks, causes us to lose touch. I'm telling you what, there's a generation in this town, in this city, in this county, in this state, in this world, and it's taken over the world of insincere worship. You say, you're judging. No, I'm fruit inspecting. Because, folks, listen, when you 
are insincerely worshiping. I mean, you really put man up on a pedestal and the worship leader is something else and the show is so, so good that you only have one a week because it takes a lot of practice and a lot of auditions. And it's been in the paper lately looking for worship teams. You ain't going to find them in the paper. You're going to find them at the altar. But I want to tell you what happens. When you have insincere worship, you lose the wonder of the gospel. Folks, the death, burial, and resurrection should not be replaced by anything or anyone or any Lord. We lose the wonder of the gospel. It's a power unto salvation. Paul said, I'll give my life to finish my course and, and witness and, and that he's entrusted me with the gospel. To be a witness of the gospel. And then, the folks, listen, uh, we lose touch with his amazing love. Hey, you come into a church and you, you stop out in the hallway and you get your little rosary out and you pray to that statue. That Lord's going to let you down. Amen. I'm going to be real careful here, but I'm going to be real straight. You call some man a worshipful master you think your club takes priority over a local church? I'm going to tell you something, folks. You're on dangerous grounds of a lesser Lord trying to correct your little life in your little grown-up boys club. I know good things happen. I know, I know folks this, but I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's a tragedy that takes place when other things out of the local church takes the place of the local church. It's a tragedy. Folks, I want to tell you something. Another thing insincere worship causes, it causes you to lose touch of your own sinfulness. What happened when Peter saw the Lord when he was fishing? He said, I have sinned. What happened when, uh, go on down the line a little bit, brother. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. What happened when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up? What did he say? Woe is you? No, he said, woe is, class, me. He said, I'm undone, and I'm a man of unclean lips. So, folks, worship puts us in our place and reminds us of his place. And modern-day worship, I am afraid, is performance-driven. And I will say this, it makes the congregation sovereign. Because whatever gets them up, whatever thrills their heart, whatever entertains their little soul, whatever makes them happy, that's what they're going to do. And folks, that's a sovereign congregation. I want to tell you who directs the church around here. God. He directs the church. He is the Lord of the church. He brings the messages. He ordains the pastor. He picks out the songs. Hallelujah. We're just instruments around here. And folks, third of all, it reduces the problem of pride and thus reduces my problem of self-dependence. When you really worship, it debases you to the point of, God, you're everything. Folks, we've got to get back to the wonder of it all. And I will tell you what, this insincere worship sounds terrible when it moves you from the gospel, from the amazing love of God, and the tragedy of your own sinfulness. But I want to tell you what sincere worship does. We're talking about it places you. I want to tell you what it does. It places you in a place of humility and restores you into love and a place of closeness, a, 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 a family love. A wonderful heavenly father takes over in your life. And it's the most wonderful experience in the world is when you walk out of here and you say, God, you're my heavenly father. I'm your child. I was a child of the devil before you saved me, but I'm your child now. And so, Lord, I give you my problems. I give you my stresses. I give you my... I give you my worries. I give you everything in my life. I give you my wealth. I give you my labor. I give you my pleasure. I give you my life. And whether I face uh, hardship or, or, or death in the family, Lord, I know that you're God. Look at verse 8. It says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and, and the violent perverting of the judgment and justice in the providence, and we've seen that, marvel not at that matter, for he is that... He, he that is higher than the highest. 
regardeth, and there be higher, and there be higher than they. Folks, listen, God is wonderfully mightyful and intensely beautiful in contrast to the ugly, futile, miserable world that we live in. I'm reminded today we're in an ugly world. I was reminded today when I turned on the news and they got two more puppets lined up for this this, this ousting of this conservative judge. They got them lined up. One of them was so drunk she's not sure he was there or not, but the, the, judge, the, the lawyer's making a lot of money and a little big name for himself saying, yeah, he was there. Just go ahead and testify that he was. And folks, I want to tell you something. That breaks my heart to see all this going on. But you know what Solomon was saying? Well, this is an ugly, miserable world, but you're an almighty, wonderful God. And so I'm going to tell you something, friend. When the world gets worse, you ought to worship more. When you get depressed, this ought to be the place you come. Amen. You know the number two killer for all teenagers in America, and every nine minutes a teenager kills himself, is suicide. What is going on? that a little teenager, 16 years old, head of her class, would go out and jump off a bridge? And the parents are shocked when they see the dowry that says, I'm nothing, I, I can do nothing, I'm, I, I'm a failure, and she's, she's the top of the class and the most popular girl in the class. I'm going to tell you something, friend. Until people get Jesus, they'll never have any self-esteem or security. Number two, go ahead and put it up, brother. Sincere worship profits me. Look at verse 10. It says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. How I many found that to be true? Some of you rich people, raise your hand. I mean, some of you rich people, just go ahead and say, I'm not satisfied yet. I don't see many rich people here. But anyway, it says, it says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. That is also vanity. It's empty. Look at verse 11. When goods increase, their increase, that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Amen. Whether you eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich shall suffer him to sleep. That's the ones that trust riches. You'll never get a good night's sleep. You know why? You're trying to figure out where it is, why you didn't make more. How you can make more, and more is never enough. And you'll never sleep if, God, if money is your God. There is a sore evil, verse 13, now listen, which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owner thereof to their, their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. And he begatteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. Now listen, real quick. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he hath carried away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as it came, so shall he go, and what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? That was my title of my message last week, laboring for the wind. It's gone. Now look at verse 16. It says, laboring for the wind. Now verse 1 through 8, Solomon essentially says, don't forget who you are. You're nothing without Christ. But 9 through 16, he, he says, don't forget where your true provisions come. Folks, it's eternal value in the things of God. Can somebody say amen? It's very profitable in the spiritual sense to serve God. He'll give you thing, things money can never buy, like peace and joy and love and purpose. Say amen. And your team can lose by 40 points and you'll still be Halfway happy. It won't be the end of the world is what I'm saying. Amen? I've seen some people go out and kill themselves over a ball game. Good night. I've seen people bet their whole week's wage on a ball game. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. That team, the quarterback might get sick. He might eat too many tacos the night before. Or worse yet, he might go out and get drunk all night. Huh? And you're betting on him? 
Folks, you better bet on God. Folks, true worship will worship the God of the harvest, not the harvest of God. I want to say this, and I'm going to say it very clearly. Don't you worship the blessings of God. You worship the one that blessed you. And folks, if you do have some money, don't worship it. You do have some children, don't worship them. You do have a good church, don't worship them. You do have a good preacher, don't worship him. <laughs> you do have a good song leader, don't worship him. A real problem right here, this Randy worship. But anyway, <laughs> if y'all can't smile a little bit after a message like this, go ahead. But folks, listen, we don't worship the harvest, the God of the, the, the harvest of God. We worship the God of the harvest. Today's society, the most common false God is money. Say amen. Money worship. We're taunted by the temporal. Say amen. And folks, if I've ever seen a temp, contemporal worship, it's today. Come, come on, say amen. Have you ever thought we'd have smoke machines and fog machines and rock and roll music and splits in a blue jean? I used to be ashamed of my splits in my blue jean. Some of y'all wear that to be cool, I know. God bless you. Go ahead. I don't care what you wear. But I want to tell you this. God does. But anyway. And the guy's up here with split blue jeans sitting on a stool trying to entertain somebody. And they go away saying, wow, what a speaker. What a worship service we had. I don't think so. Because God didn't get the glory. Folks, it's, we need to be set free from the crushing lordship of stuff. Can I repeat that? We need to be set free from the crushing lordship of stuff. The fool stored it all up, and God said, no, you are a fool, because the night your soul will be requited in. Then who's all these things going to be? He started worshiping himself and praying to himself. I got big barns. I got a lot of oxen. I got a lot of grain. I got, I got, I got. And I want more, more, more. I'll tear them down build some more. Luke 16, read it sometime. True worship forces you to reckon what really is worthy. Look at verse 13, and I'll close. It says, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. He said there's a vanity under the sun. Remember the perspective under the sun means worldly advantage. So just, just put up the points real quick, brother, because I'll never get to them, but I'll just go over them. Sincere worship produces a heart that knows real contentment, deep gratitude, and sweet peace. Now, folks, don't come looking for it. It's just going to be the benefits of it. You're going to leave here with peace if you worship God. Even if the preacher bombed out and had a headache and couldn't see his notes and didn't preach too good a message, kind of down. Have you ever went to church not feeling too good? You know, listen, I'm going to tell you something, friend. If I preach like some, some of you look, we'd be in trouble. Amen? You look like you're mad at me. You look like you're sad at me. You look like you're just dead. And you've probably been up all night, and I ain't going to criticize you. I thank God for every third shifter in this church. I'm going to tell you something. I wouldn't be awake. <laughs> I can't take it. I get old. But folks, we need to crush this lordship of self. The sincere worship puts me at least under the lordship of Jesus who promises to always meet my needs. The lordship of Jesus will meet your needs. And he sets us free from the crushing lordship of stuff. Then last but not least, sincere worship portions me. Look at verse 18. Behold what that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, see, he's not against everything. He loves you to eat. He taketh under the sun all the days of life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. You ought to be so happy about life. More happy than the lost, you're going to heaven. Look at this. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth. Listen to this now. This is so wonderful, the, the conclusion of this chapter. Has given him power to eat. Listen to this now. Where, whereof and to take his portion. His portion. And to rejoice in 
His labor. That is the gift of God. God's blessed you. You ought to be more thankful for that. You ought to be more praiseful. You ought to smile once in a while. Praise God, you ought to show up when you don't feel good. You ought to smile by faith. You don't feel like smiling because somebody needs it more than you do. But folks, most of all, you don't need to show up and show off. You need to let, pray God to show up and worship Him. Sincere worship portions us. Go ahead, brother. I'll close. True worship gives us the ability to be contented and delighted by what God has already given us. Amen. The other day, Jason taught me into walking nine holes. He, he won't let me ride for some reason. And I got a foot problem. And it hurts every step, especially on concrete paths or in rocky woods when you're trying to find a golf ball. So, you know, I really don't, I don't really get a good. If he wants to go and he wants fellowship on our day off, I'll try to make it. Well, it was one Thursday that I was really hurting with each step. Doctor told me not to take any more Advil because it's killing my kidneys. So I was stuck. I was trying to enjoy myself, playing a game. I was a little grouchy. I was a little grouchy. You ever been grouchy because you had to go to work? You ever been grouchy because you had to walk somewhere? And then I turned around, and I saw a guy with one leg. And then I saw him go up to the tee box, and I said, this guy's playing? I thought he was driving the cart. He gets out and puts his crutch under his arm like this, and he get, gets the club with both hands. He has no leg, no leg, nothing, nothing, nothing from the thigh down. And he rears back and hits it straight down the middle further than I did before I just left. I almost started crying. I said, Lord, you sent that man with one leg behind me to keep me from griping about my hurting feet playing a game. And God raped me over the coals. And so every time I hurt, I said, thank God for a foot to hurt. Thank God for an aching pain. Thank God that a son wanted to spend some time with me on my day off. Thank God I beat him anyway. No, not really. Uh, never have. But I'm just saying, friend, look around. There's somebody worse off than you. God has blessed you. I know you're tired of the Ill, illness that you have and the problems you have. But folks, if you'll go down to the cancer ward of the children's wing down at Eggleston, you'll see a whole lot of kids that have never had the strength to do half of what you've done. And they're still smiling when a falcon comes by and gives them a football. Folks, listen. Don't labor for the wind. Sincere worship tells us we've got a portion that the world knows not of. Let me just give you number three real quick. Sincere worship frames and filters the world around you through the goodness and grace of the Savior within you. Folks, you want to get a filter from all this depressing news? You, and I don't mean escape. I think you ought to be involved. I think you ought to vote. I don't think you ought to say a word if you don't vote about politics. I really don't. I don't think you ought to gripe and complain unless you're going to vote. Praise God. Because you're, you're, you're complaining on credit. Go ahead and vote, then complain. Hallelujah. But folks, listen. God has been good to you. And God has been gracious to you. And the Savior within you is enough to overcome this stinking world. And your problems and the heartaches and all the things that you want to control. And you are a lesser Lord than God. You'll never make it without Him. And so it all depends on who you're worshiping. This chapter right here said, I see them going to the temple. They're going through the motions. They're making vows they're not keeping. They're worshiping their money. Oh, God, deliver me from that vanity. And he did deliver me. He wouldn't have wrote this great book. And so let me just close the last slide, brother, on the whole summary of what we've learned so far in these first five chapters. 
Solomon looks around and he sees hopelessness. If you want to really see hopelessness, friend, just go ahead and look around. Just look around. Just go ahead and look to, look to Trump to solve all the problems. President Trump. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Just go ahead and look to the Supreme Court to straighten out the morals of our life, and you will see it's hopeless. Number two, look within. If you'll look in honestly, you'll, he's, especially Solomon now, you're not as wicked as he is, or you might be. He saw idolatry, and he saw flesh, and he saw vanity, and he saw great blessings more than any man on this earth as far as wisdom and riches. And he still was in despair. But folks, here's the key to the book of Ecclesiastes. He looked up. He got over the sun. He looked beyond the sun. Everything under the sun is vanity, vexation of spirit. makes me sick. But he says, I looked up and I began to see hope. In God. I just want to say this, and this is the whole message tonight. I said all that to say the last line there. Wrote it out for you. It's time that you prioritize that continual act of looking up. Amen? I could have gave you a really sweet talk, not read in one verse. I could have gave you a little colloquial contemporary message on just keep looking up. I sound like Joel Osteen if I wanted to. Amen? Sweet little thing. But I want to say this. Let me just say this. 10,000 every time he preaches, by the way, live. Our continual act ought to be looking up. And I'm going to tell you how you look up. Worship. Worship. Worship! Father, thank you for the message. I think it's the most needed message I've ever preached in a long time. We need to prioritize our continual act of looking up. God, I'm the world's worst, I think, sometimes by looking in and saying, I've got to fix this mess. I've got to straighten it. I've got I to fix it. And then I, I, I look around and some people don't even watch the news because they want to look around. They don't want to know how bad it is. They stop watching the news. They stop talking to people. They stop fellowship with people. They just stay in the house. God, that's not the solution. The solution is before we leave the house, we look up. While we're in the house, we look up. When we go to sleep, we look up. When we come to church, we look up. When we sing, we look up. When we worship, we're looking up. God, help us. To look up to the God, the very God that's higher than the highest problem we have. And he's more powerful than the biggest devil in this world. So dear God, we worship you with all our heart and all our soul.